Welcome back to Around the 412. I'm Tyler. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Smitty. Be sure to go follow us on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, everywhere you can follow us. And also, go subscribe to us on YouTube. We're going to try to keep growing that as we go along. And friendly reminder that it is year five of Rocket Around the 412. It's our Christmas fundraiser where the Smitty and I, along with all of you who can donate, try to help some less fortunate families that don't have the same circumstances that Smitty and I were able to have the fortune of growing up. And so what we do is you guys donate all the money and we use every cent that gets donated to provide gifts, makeup, toys, electronics, like whatever you can think of, we will get it for the kids. Basically we get them whatever they want. And then we also provide a gift card for the parents to provide a Christmas meal. Um, But yeah, so if you want to go check that out, you can go to the pin tweet on our Twitter and you can also go to GoFundMe.com directly and search Rocket Around the 412, and you can read all about it there. Absolutely. And um, to kind of tie that in with something else, and I will once again have this in the bio, um, I mentioned last week, um, or Tyler mentioned last week, that there is another GoFundMe um, mm-hmm. for my friend Dalton who passed away, um, his daughter to go towards her future. This thing is at like... I think I don't want to misspeak here because it just keeps growing like crazy. So I don't know what's going to be at by the time people watch or listen to this. I believe it was around 26,000 when I looked earlier today. I've kind of been monitoring this. Um, But there's a GoFundMe set up for his two-year-old daughter to go towards her future. Um, And she, the way that it ties in, if you were wondering, I mentioned it tied in. uh, She's going to be, we know, the first person that we're for sure taken care of with rocking around the 412. So her Christmas will be provided um, by those who donate. Uh, We also, as of the time of recording this, had a a decent day today with donations. I know that I kind of started to pump it out more. Uh, A lot of people have been asking about it. That's on me for not doing as good of a job this year with advertising it and stuff. But I feel like this is kind of the time of year where it does ramp up to begin with when we really start to get into football season and the fall weather and stuff like that. And people realize, oh, man, it's only a couple months until Christmas. So this is kind of the time of year where it ramps up anyway. So you'll be seeing a lot more of it. We're going to keep throwing it in your face. Um, but it's all for a good cause. So we're not just spamming you with stuff for no reason. So rocking around the 412 is going on. The Isla Teen uh, Future Fund is also going on. So it's check just out a, both a of those. Hair things. under 28,000, by the way, as a Oh, okay. Awesome. So it's gone right. Up. Yeah. Every, every time I go on there, there's a new donation. And the coolest thing about it, man, is like looking at the donators to see who is donating and seeing like basically my entire graduating class getting involved. And stuff like that but that just goes to show what i mentioned on here you know how many people love dalton and, and how close that he was with so many people like regardless of what group that you were in throughout high school you had a friend in dalton and um yeah so it's, it's been really great to see so many people supporting his daughter and his family in what is the most difficult time uh in their lives um i would say on, on a bit happier matter uh we can talk about some sports but um <laughs> yeah the the Steelers man we're gonna kick it off as we always do with some adding some humor with Sarge's Steelers notes that'll be good but, um <laughs> but I think that we need to start adding context to the game before we just jump into the notes because yeah I true. realized the last couple weeks 
I just jump into these things and people be like, I mean, you probably watch the game, but it's like, if you didn't, you have no clue where some of this stuff is coming from or what happened in the game itself. The Steelers get blown out in Buffalo 38 to three on Sunday. Now I, we didn't, neither of us picked the Steelers to win this game. We thought like maybe they would keep it close. Enough oh, we picked them to cover and yeah, we were way off. Absolutely. As we just say, like we thought that they'd win in Vegas you know, with them having the largest spread Dude, that the they've bills, ever had. The bills doubled the, what they, the amount they needed to cover yeah. over double. Um, I mean, there was, there was very few positives to take away from this game and we will get into them, but just on the surface. Yeah. 38 to three, the Steelers go up to Buffalo and lose. I think what was so frustrating to me, they're losing 10, three at this point, they get a pick from Levi Wallace in the end zone and then they go three and out. You know, the Steelers had a little bit of momentum there. You felt like if they can put a drive together, and they had put a drive together together on their first drive. It just kind of stalled out in the red zone, as we've seen so often. Um, but you feel like if they could have done that, I mean, they, they might have stayed in this football game. It could have been a little bit of a different story. Not that they would have won by any means, but it, it could have changed. I, I don't think that they would have lost by 35 points. Um, right. I, I think that was the drive to me that kind of everything just went downhill after that. Um, but yeah, let's get into Sarge's Steelers notes, and then we can we can talk about it more. Um, where's this at? Actually, here it is. Bills game. All right. <clears throat> First drive went from having all the confidence in the world to wanting to not watch football. I mean, I mean so I, yeah, I it was a uh, yeah. They they get into the red zone, and then it's like what usually happens. But I think what was so um encouraging to me about what we saw in that first drive specifically from kenny pickett is two third down conversions and, and they were like yeah. third down and eight as well and, and maybe third and 11 on the first one to pickens so it's not like you know third and short they're getting a yard or two like the, they were converting third down in long situations which again i don't want to keep harping on it because they've now made the switch i'm not i don't have to like lobby for it to happen but it's just something that wasn't happening when mitch trubisky was in there so that was the difference to me we saw it very early in this football game uh, how are we struggling so bad with catching the ball on special teams? Uh, okay, so they they make the switch from Gunner to Steven Sims, and I think that was everybody was calling for it. We were all happy about it. Steven Sims has an eye injury before the game even starts and can't field the first <laughs> kickoff. So it has to be James Pierre, who hasn't done that since college. Maybe maybe they gave him some opportunities in training camp or whatever, but it really didn't look like it because like Anthony McFarland was still in the picture at that point to do that. Anthony Miller was healthy. So like I don't know where James Pierre was on the pecking order in training camp, but it wasn't very high. So for him to be thrown into that situation, it's a shame for him, but it is something he'd done in the past. So I can't like say, what is Tomlin doing? Just throwing some random guy out there. James Pierre did this in college at least, but unfortunate for sure. Yeah. The only, I guess, benefit of the doubt per se that I could give him is maybe he just wasn't, cause that was a short kick and I'm assuming that the wind probably had to do yeah. with that. So maybe he just wasn't expecting something like that to happen, but still, I mean, you're an NFL player. You should, you should catch that ball. Yeah. Uh, about 85% of teams who block a kick win the game. Hopefully lady luck is on our side. Yeah. The Steelers, uh, obviously fell to the 15% of that, um, because they did block a field <laughs> attempt on the bills. They obviously did not win the football game, but that, what a weird start to this game. I mean, taking into consideration what we just said about the, uh, the kickoff fumble, uh, a 98 yard touchdown for the bills right away. Then that happens. And then the Steelers block a field goal boswell misses a couple kicking into swirling winds so it's like hard to blame him um just a very weird game as well uh pickens throwing dudes to the ground will always be funny yeah it, it, like so i'm sure you've seen the clips but like right at the line of scrimmage he'll just like push a guy over 
And it's even mm -hmm. funnier when it's not a run play and he ends up like running a route on it. I mean, it's an interesting way to get open. It, it's you don't really see it very often. Um, yeah. But yeah, the dude is a bully <laughs> and he might already be there. And this isn't saying much, very low bar. He's probably already their best blocking receiver. Yeah, for sure. He's got to be. Uh, won't show up on the stat sheet, but Kenny helping Najee, helping up Najee after a run is nice to see. Yeah, we're going to talk about Najee when we uh, really give our thoughts more, I th at least me. I don't know what you have to say on it, but I know that I have a lot to say when it comes to Najee Harris uh, so far this season. But yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot. I know of the run things. he's talking about. I remember, yeah. I remember seeing Kenny pick him up. But yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of different things that, that Kenny does that are just like you just like to see from a from a first year guy that you he's a leader already. In. Yeah, like going back to last year, this is stuff that we wouldn't even see from the offensive line to to uh, to Ben, you know, an 18 year veteran in the NFL <laughs> yeah. helping him up. That's so, true. Like, um, Kenny's pocket presence seems to be very high, able to throw the ball with defenders in his face. Again, you know, he doesn't Something collapse. He has the and Mitch didn't. Yeah, he he doesn't collapse the pocket on himself, and even when, you know, there are people right in his face, uh, he's able to somehow see through that and and keep the pocket as clean as possible. He doesn't force pressure on himself that's not there. Um, he's a quarterback that's yeah, not going to scramble when he doesn't need to. He he yes. can feel like he has a cleanish pocket, and if it even if it's collapsing, if he can make a play, he's going to stay there. I am not a fan of having a quarterback roll to the weak side and throw. It looks very awkward. Yeah, he had a completion. I want to say to Fryermuth, and that's happened a couple times. Like that also happened in the Jets game. And yeah, because you have to like come across your body. You're throwing at a different angle. It does look weird, but at the same time, I mean, if you're always rolling to one side, it's kind of what we were talking about with Kenny in college and Mitch historically. Um, you know, you're cutting off half the field. So like, if he's going to do it. From time to time, I think it's a benefit because you're keeping the defense on their toes a little bit. Um, but yeah, it, it obviously. And you were just you know, talking about completions. It's not like we're talking about incomplete passes. Right. Yeah. Uh, we are down 14. Why are we trying to establish the one run right now? You know, yeah, I mean, establishing the run to me is such a myth. I mean, having played football, I understand the idea around okay if you can if you can establish a run it will open up the pass but sometimes and and this is also me like watching i'll relate this to byu as well because they struggle to run sometimes too sometimes if you're passing well and you can't run the ball you just need to give it up and you just need to do what's moving the ball and that's throwing the football I, I understand the philosophy of wanting to establish a run, and I think so many coaches get caught up into that, that they need to be able to get that going on the ground. And ideally, you want to be able to, but if it is just flat out not working, you just need to say screw it and throw the football because trying to you're just wasting downs at that point if you're going to keep going back to it. Yeah, I mean, if you're going run, run, pass, literally every drive, Again, it kind of goes back to the predictability of the offense. It's going to be going to be very easy to stop. Teams are just stacked the box first and second down. I mean, I mean, we've seen it for for how long now? Um, you have to be willing to throw the ball on first down, second down. In any situation, you got to be able to throw the ball. I think on the reverse side of that, you kind of have to be able to run the ball in scenarios where it's typically not a run play either. Like 
that's how you have a balanced offense. By the way, um, just because it's on my mind and I don't know if I'll remember to say it later if I don't say it now, Kenny Pickett, and I understand the, the score was what it was, so like not surprising, I guess. 52 attempts in his first start. I would not have thought that that was going to be the case. I don't think the Steelers are, are necessarily happy that that was the case, but um, that definitely jumped off the page to me. Yeah, uh, for sure. And it's funny because I just saw it. I listened to a TikTok that said like pretty much any quarterback that throws for 50 or more attempts has a losing record. And the only one that doesn't is Tom Brady. Like, I think yeah. they said like Ben was like four and 11 when he has to throw 50 plus times. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't have expected that either, but the way that they were <laughs> running the ball, especially with Najee, just wasn't working. Uh, it gets so frustrating seeing this team miss open field tackles. Yeah, I mean, listen, though, like I'm not saying I, I don't know what the percentage is. I think this is one of those things that we feel like watching the Steelers is just a Steelers thing. I think like lead wide open field tackling is very tough, obviously. I mean, you know, you got to give credit to the guy, the guy with the football as well here in this situation. Um, but I mean, I definitely see your point. To me, it's more, it's not even the open field stuff. Like missed tackles at the line of scrimmage when there's multiple guys there are the missed tackles that I'm looking at. If a guy like forces a missed tackle one on one in the open field, I mean, it is what it is. Again, you kind of got to tip your cap to the offensive player at times here too. Yeah. Yeah, the, the the tackles that drive me nuts is whenever you hit the guy at the line of scrimmage, but he either fights for an extra three or four yards or he just bounces off that tackle and keeps running. Like arm tackles and ankle like ankle tackles that are just super weak. It, that's the most frustrating part to me watching it is like you have plays where the guy should only get like a one yard gain and it turns into like a four or five yard gain because you can't make the initial contact and keep him on the ground or get him to the ground when you fresh, first hit him. Uh, Bob Spillane's the best defensive play was when a pass hit him in the leg when his back was turned. Yeah, he was running down the field in the end zone with a tight end that had him beat. I mean, this might have been one of Josh Allen's like three bad throws on the entire yeah. day. Um, and yeah, he just hit Spillane in the back of the leg as he's in the end zone. This is so frustrating because we kind of saw it come to life again. I mean, there was a time where Spillane was the closest defender on Stephon Diggs. There was that play, obviously, where he gets beat, and you're just kind of fortunate that that Josh Allen doesn't have a little bit more arc on the ball and get it over his head. Um, but, you know, I'll keep saying it until it's not the case. I, I really don't see how Spillane is the team's best option um, as the dime linebacker, and we, we continue to see it. I understand, I, yeah. like, it's not going to be Devin Bush, but, like, I mean, give Miles Jack a shot. I understand this is his first year in the system. Maybe he's not completely fully up to speed yet, but I, I don't know. Like, I, I think he is their best shot at getting something in the form of coverage from a linebacker. I, I just don't think Robert Spillane should be in any coverage. I, I don't I don't think he has the athletic capability to keep up with some of these offensive players. Um, this just goes to show how bad things got in this game. Why do we have a player wearing 16 in the secondary? Yeah, that was uh, Josh Jackson called up from the practice squad. <laughs> yeah, literally, literally everybody uh, on Twitter and like quitting in the car when we because we were driving back from Vegas at that watching the game. <laughs> like, who is this guy? I have yeah. no idea who who's in the secondary right now. 
I tweeted, is that Zach Celedonia in coverage right now? <laughs> like, I, I, yeah, first off, I didn't realize that was Josh. Jack- I didn't know what number he was wearing. And immediately, Josh Allen takes advantage of him hitting Khalil Shakir down to like the five yard line, the first play that he's in coverage. Um, I think he ended up recovering a fumble in the end zone towards the end of the game, though, Josh Jackson. But yeah, why is he wearing number 16? I mean, that just. We, we have, at least me, I have the theory, you know, look good, play good, play good, pay good, pay good, live good, live good, die good. But like 16 in the secondary, you're not looking good. So the rest of that just becomes null and void. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I remember harping on whenever I thought Minka should have went back to 29 instead of 39 at, at, mm-hmm. at safety. But then seeing him at 16, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's ugly. And part of the... Re- it's it's just even funnier that nobody knew who that even was. Not not only did we dislike the number, just no one knew had a clue who you were, dude. I feel like I can skip this next one because it revolves around linebackers covering receivers. Kind of okay. already touched on that. Uh, I wonder why the Haywards don't stand next to each other on the sidelines. I feel like I've seen them sitting on the bench at times together, but they're also well, I on... mean, one's an offensive player, one's a defensive player. They typically aren't together on the sideline. Yeah. Yeah, and if like if the offense is on the field and Hayward is not like he's not obviously in for a ton of offensive snaps, but he kind of yeah. always has to be ready. So he's probably standing yeah. by Tomlin and the the staff when the offense is on, and he's going to have to be on Sunday. But we'll talk about that more uh, in a little bit. Not only is kicking those field goals useless for the score, it's also hurting Boswell's career average. Got to look out for your guys. Yeah, hey, Again, I respect that. You're, you 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 knew what that win was doing. And you're having me kick it anyway, but that was driving me nuts. Like you're down by how much was it in the second quarter? Twenty-one in the second quarter. Yeah, and you're kicking a field goal. First off, that to me, you're already accepting defeat in the second quarter if you're kicking a field goal down twenty-one. And then in the fourth quarter, again, what's the use? You're down thirty-five. I I, I don't get it. There yeah. there was no I, point to be kicking either of those field goals. So, yeah, you did hurt Boswell's average. But to me, all the way in the second quarter, Tomlin was just saying, we're going to lose this game. Maybe we are just so far out of the loop on what putting points on the board does for a locker room. But from the actual perspective of them staying in that football game, it would have done nothing. So (laughs) I, again, don't get it. Something we can talk way more about, but I'm glad to see we're all on the same page with it. What's frustrating about that game is Kenny looked good. Three points doesn't show that the offense mostly looked decent. Defense just stinks. So as far as the offense looking decent, I I think like, and I tweeted this, like it's such a hard evaluation for how Kenny Pickett played in his first start because the coaches obviously did him no favors with circumstances like we're talking about in that situation. But when you say the offense looks decent, I don't know that I can agree with that just because the Dude, playmakers weren't making re- plays. I would say some of his receivers weren't doing him any favors either. Yeah. Listen, I, I want to talk about Deontay John. I want to talk about a lot of players at length um, when we really start to give our thoughts. Everybody knows how I feel about Deontay Johnson. I'm the biggest Deontay Johnson fan in the world. I think he deserved the payday that he got. That's why I think the argument could be made that I'm more disappointed than anybody with what we've seen to start this season. Um, but we'll talk about that more. Um, Kenny looked good. I thought the offensive line was okay. Um, in pass protection, especially not necessarily in the run game, although a certain running back did look much better than the other running back. Um, <laughs> but like, I, I don't know that I can say the offense as a whole looked very good. 
No, I don't um, think so. I, I, I think sp- basically specifically Kenny himself looked good to me. And that's what I'm going to be watching for going forward with the rest of the season. Not that I want to give up this early in the season, but to me, every game, at least offensively, is going to be watching Kenny Pickett's progression. I honestly don't really care about much else besides that. I have never seen a defense, and this is the last one, uh, look so lost without one player. Give TJ Defensive Player of the Year at this point just by how the team looks without him. Hey, yeah, put some, like put some respect on Terrell Evans back, though. That's not just one player, that's, two players. I, I literally have that as a topic. Um, but as far as TJ goes, I, I don't know how many times that I'm going to have to say this in consecutive weeks, but I it's insane to me that you're talking about a top five to seven defense when TJ Watts on the field in a bottom five to seven defense when he's off the field. I mean, they generate no pressure. Cam Hayward hasn't had a pressure since the first game. Alex Highsmith, who's got five and a half sacks on the year, that's great, 18 pressures on the season. He didn't have a single one against Buffalo. I mean, they had five pressures in total. Uh, Josh Allen was only pressured on, I think, 11% of his dropbacks. It was like the third lowest total in the NFL. It's just, I mean, that's obviously against against anybody. That's not a recipe for success. When you're talking about Josh Allen, who's playing the, the level of football that he is, if you're starting a franchise right now, he's the first or second pick. Um, that's obviously not going to work. And they don't have the secondary to support that lack of pass rush. It's the way that the Steelers have decided to build their team. And you're seeing the flaws in doing so when TJ Watt isn't out there. They've never really prioritized corner. That's why, you know, I understand that everybody's knock on the team is going to be the way that they draft and develop corners. But, you know, even I, I think it's a testament to to what they did this offseason, like, Akella Witherspoon, he's fine. Levi Wallace, he's fine. Cam Sutton, he's fine. Like they're they're good players, but they've never really prioritized having that shutdown corner because they don't need to. When TJ Watt's on the field, and you got Cam Hayward going, you got Alex Highsmith going, but TJ Watt is the one that makes literally every other aspect of that happen. When he's not there, it, it everything falls apart. And I mean, they're what zero and eight now without without yeah. TJ in a game. And also, I don't want to like, I'm uh, by no means using this as an excuse, but for the Steelers, when it rains, it pours because not only did they get their asses kicked on Sunday, um, the injuries continue to pile up. I mean, they went into this game pretty injured. They finished this game with two healthy corners. And one of them was a, a pr- uh, practice squad call up in Josh Jackson. I mean, <laughs> what, what are you supposed to do at that point? Like, so not only have they been not good, Obviously, they've been unbelievably injured up to this point too. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, it's it's a tough situation to be in, and I, I, it would suck to watch this performance or and this performance probably wouldn't have been as bad against most teams, but like they were also going against arguably the best team in football. So that's especially offensively. So that's another thing. It was like they didn't have an easy week either. Yeah. No, it was uh, was not good. But that was Sarge's Steelers notes. It's going to be really interesting. I was talking about this to Tyler right before we started the show uh, next week's because he's going to be at the game with me. Tom Brady's probably, please, God, last time in Pittsburgh, uh, bringing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers here to Pittsburgh for Kenny Pickett's first home start with offensive introductions as well. The place is going to go wild. Regardless of the fact they're one and four, this city is ready to see him be the starter and i'm expecting uh still a very strong crowd on sunday for this game um 
So now we can kind of give our thoughts on this game. I know that we were kind of chiming here and there with Sarge's notes, but um, I want to start um, with, with kind of tying in the injury stuff the way that we ended last, but I'm going to start on the offensive side because I am really worried about Pat Fryermuth. Um, we're talking about his third concussion in two years as a pro. It was something that he also dealt with at Penn State. Um, so I, it's tough because I don't know where you're at with this, but especially with the way that the lead is handling concussions now and are going to going forward due to the way that like Tua was handled. And I fully support it, by the way. This is not something to mess with when it comes to concussions. I think that you see post-playing days, uh, the ramifications of this stuff a lot of the times. And yeah, it can get pretty ugly. So 100%, I'm fully on board with whatever needs to happen here for Pat Frymuth to get back to 100%. But I, I don't want to roll him out yet. I would be very surprised if we see him on Sunday based off of what I just said three concussions in two years as a pro it was something that he dealt with a little bit of Penn state as well, but you know, where do they go from here at tight end? Because Zach Gentry is also dealing with a knee issue. Obviously you have, you know, Connor Hayward, a, a rookie sixth round pick in tow right now. They got somebody on the practice squad. I threw out, listen, he's on the saints practice hey, squad right uh, now. I Lucas saw Kroll. Yeah. Lucas Kroll, who he played with at Pitt. Um, I know, you know, people were talking about his hands at times. There's actually, I cannot find a single site that will show me the number of drops for anybody in college. Like, is that not something they really keep track of for college players? Or they, what? they don't, they don't keep track of stats as close to a T as, as yeah. like NFL stats do. So people were so. talking about his hands and fumble issues. He had two career fumbles, like including his time at Florida as well. And we're talking about his hands. I mean, yeah, as somebody that watched him play at Pitt, obviously saw a few drops and everything. But listen, we're really getting into way too much critiquing for what I'm talking about being the fourth tight end <clears throat> on a roster to maybe play one week because you're that desperate. I'm just looking at the level of familiarity there. And they <laughs> literally need a body this week. Yeah, no, I agree. I I think that the familiarity with Kenny Pickett would be good, and not he doesn't even need to be your your pass catching tight end this week. If he can if he can go in the run blocking, and then you can lead some of the pass catching to uh to Connor no Cam Hayward Connor Hayward. I was I was like going back and forth in my head, <laughs> uh, and then Zach Gentry. I I, I think if Zach Gentry is going to be limited, that would be fine. You don't need Lucas Kroll to be your pass catching tight end for the week. Um, I, I, I think that as far as Pat Frymouth goes, they, they need to like at least just take time. Don't rush him back because you saw what happened with Tua. We don't know how the, the severity of his uh, concussions are, but like last year, mm -hmm. it was towards the end of the season. It was two concussions within three weeks. And then yeah, definitely yeah. one against Minnesota. I, was the other one the Chargers? Or I forget the games. I just okay. I just remember it was like two and three weeks. Like he had one missed a, he was the, they played the next game and then had another one the game after that. So the fact that he had another one and I, I, I would I don't know the severity of it, but I would doubt the NFL would even want people like that to play. Seeing what happened with Tua because that whole that whole situation is just messed up. Um, but they're going to take it a lot more stricter at this point. But that that is something moving forward that you'd have to be concerned about because I mean. You spend a, I don't want to talk like this already, but like you spent a second round pick on this guy. And if he's going to get multiple concussions early on in his career, I mean, mm -hmm. as a, as a BYU fan, and I, I know I could relate to this BYU a lot. You might have an Austin Collie situation where great talent, but his career is going to be at, could be limited early just because of concussions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you hate to have that thought pop up, but you know, there's, there's a person under that helmet. 
and under that jersey as well. So, yeah, um, and I, but, I mean, this is his third just in the NFL. He had some in yeah. college, and I remember in high school, one of the kids on our football team, he had his sixth concussion, and they're like, I mean, I mean, he had really bad ones too, but they they basically said like, if you have another one, like you could like not wake up. Mm-hmm. So at a certain point, you just say, gonna have to pull yourself out of it. And I, I don't want to say Pat Frymuth is anywhere near that, but like, yeah. you got to remember like that could happen in these cir- circumstances. It was a positive sign. He was out with uh, Craig Wolfley doing something um, somewhere, Settlers Ridge or something, Market District, okay, doing something. So like, I, I'm obviously that has nothing to do with playing football, but the fact that he's not, you know, just like sitting in a dark being, room, yeah. <laughs> Like he's out and able to do stuff. Uh, I think there's a positive sign there. Again, not, I don't want to talk about his potential status on Sunday, but uh, that was really him and Gentry. So the tight end room, really the only ones to talk about on the offensive side of the football. Where it gets really bad is when you take a look at the defensive side of the football with their injuries right now. Cam Sutton's already been rolled out. Um, hamstring injury that was kind of plaguing him last week. He was able to go. He's also dealing with a groin thing, but it's really the hamstring, I think, that's the reason he's been rolled out already for this game. So uh, rolled corner. Tomlin rolled him out. Minka Fitzpatrick obviously dealing with a knee thing. He played through that this week. If it got worse, I don't know, but he played through it this week. We'll see. Akella Witherspoon, he's going to work his way back this week, it sounds like. He missed the last two games. Um, they're going to need him back because Levi Wallace now dealing with a concussion. Um, Pat Fryermuth concussion, Zach Gentry knee, Montrevious Adams with a hip. So there's a ton of contributors with it. I mean, literally every injury that they have right now is by somebody playing a good bit of football for this team right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, you look at that cornerback room, man, if they can't get a Kello back this week, we might be playing corner because no <laughs> Cam Sutton already. Levi's got to get through concussion protocol, and that's with the you know ramped up concussion protocols now that they're do- doing in the NFL. I It's going to be tough. I mean, because you look at like Terrell Edmonds working his way back from a concussion. I think it's it's obviously like kind of similar. Now, concussions, they're like, you know, nonlinear. You can wake up tomorrow and have no effects from it. But just taking into consideration what we're going to see with the lead going forward with concussions. I think Levi Wallace, at least at this point, is sitting here talking right now. Very questionable to play in this game. I think anybody with a concussion is, and I and I yeah. keep going back. I just keep going back to like what happened with Tua. I think the NFL and teams just look at that, and anybody with a concussion is going to be handled with probably more carefully than they would have prior to what happened with Tua, just because that was such a messed up situation that happened. Like he should not have played that second game. Any anybody yeah. who watched him get up in that first one, it shouldn't shouldn't have come back in the game. But yeah, I don't. I I can't like speak to anybody playing, but if these people are held out. I mean, not to say that the Bills are going to be or the the Bucks are going to be like the Bills, but it could be a not so pretty week and Tom Brady could have a field day. Yeah, they started to find their footing offensively last week even in a loss. Yeah. Um got into a little bit of a shootout with Kansas City where they just weren't as able to keep up, but they were coming back towards the end. But they got Godwin back, Mike Evans returned from his one game suspension like those guys not playing was the reason that offense wasn't clicking. I think Brady still looks fine. The offensive line hasn't necessarily been as good. I mean, when you lose, you know, your center and, and Nick Jensen or Ryan Jensen, you don't have to be quite as good. But um, yeah, I think their offense has started to, to hum a little bit. So yeah, I mean, not last the best week time for the, to catch them. I understand it's the Falcons, but it's not like we can really say much because <laughs> we we can't right. really say yeah, but we're the Steelers. Yeah, well, we suck. Um, 
Tom Brady had 351 passing yards and a touchdown. So I, yeah, it's not going to be pretty, probably. <laughs> um, all right. So let's talk about. We was just talking about their playmakers for Tampa. Let's talk about the Steelers playmakers who aren't making a ton of plays right now. Um, going back to this game on Sunday, you know, you look at like the positives of the offense. Uh, you know, I, I think the offensive line, like I said, they played okay. It's hard to, except for Mason Cole, and I know he's playing hurt right now, but he had his worst game of the season by far. Um, but Kenny Pickett, obviously, I think that you saw enough there to be encouraged. Jalen Warren went, ran hard when he got the ball, nine touches mm-hmm. in this game. I know that game strip kind of was in his favor because of Najee being banged up. They're just going to give him the rock when the game's out of hand and keep Najee on the sidelines. And then Pickens, you know, I think that that Pickett has found something there and he's clearly becoming like his most reliable target. Listen, if he's going to be the only one that catches the football, he's going to get the football. He's going to end up having the most targets on this team, the way that things are trending. Um, But I like, I, I, let's go back to the Deontay Johnson talk. Let's start there. I want to talk about the other, the other uh, receiver, out of those top three for the Steelers as well. But let's start with Deontay Johnson. I mentioned um, how I think that, like, you could say I'm more disappointed than anybody just because, like, I- I'm his biggest fan. Like, I- I'm his biggest supporter. I There might be somebody that's, like, right there with me, but there's nobody above me when it comes to supporting Deontay Johnson. And uh, what he's shown at the beginning of this year, it's-, it's not good enough. The performance has not been good enough. And listen, I don't care what he says to the, the media and stuff. Like, that stuff goes in one ear and out the other. I don't put much stock into it. Obviously, I don't love it. I, I think you know the comments are stupid, but I think it's just misguided frustration. And I'd be a little upset if he wasn't frustrated. I think the only problem there exists if when he looks in the mirror and when he watches himself back, he doesn't see the issues that we see as well. I think that he knows he hasn't been good enough. I think he knows the team hasn't been good enough. So from that sense, you know, and at least I hope that's the case because I can't answer that. From that sense, I just hope that he keeps working. And I have all the faith in the world that he will find his way back to the level of play that he was at last year. But at least to start this season, he hasn't been the receiver that we're paying him to be and expected him to be. He hasn't been that leader in the receiver room on the field. He's never going to be that guy vocally, but, you know, go out and show me. He hasn't been that yet. Um, He's made a ton of almost great catches that are literally just somehow he's not getting both feet in. Um, but it's the ones that he that he's not catching that are always going to be highlighted. I go back to that like fourth and five. Yeah. Where where Kenny's running running to the right and he throws across his body to Deontay. And it, it's I understand Deontay had to jump for it. But it's yeah, one it's thing if I understand, but but at the same time, it's one thing if it hits off your fingertips, it went straight through the palms of his hands. That mm-hmm. like even though as you had to you had to go up for it, he should still come down with that, in my opinion. And that's where I want to go with like I I hope that and I know you said you're not gonna put much stock into his comments. I just hope that that's not actually how he truly feels and that he thinks he's fine. Like kind of like what you were saying. Sure, because yeah. like I I tweeted out like physically, I will never have never will nowhere ever be a physical specimen that Deontay Johnson is. The only thing physically I could probably beat him in is an eating contest. And then at least with football athleticism, sure, I played high school football. That was the extent of it. I have no skill in my pinky that he has an entire body. He's got more skill in his pinky. But I still don't think that means I can't know when he should catch the football. 
that that that's and I, I feel like that's where his comments kind of put me off a little bit where and it might be misguided frustration, but I I hope he truly doesn't think that he has no faults to his game because this season that's just not the case. He yeah. he's got he's got plenty just like everybody else on the team. There's plenty to go around, but Deontay Johnson has his fair share. And that's where I'm hoping mentally that he is not like what we're talking about and what those comments say. Cause if he actually truly believes like, like I understand he's like saying like, come out here and do it. I'm like, yeah, we physically can't do it, but you can, and you're not doing it. So he's also, he's also the only guy on the offense right now, really making like substantial money being paid to make those plays. So, yeah. you know, yeah, I still believe in Deontay I, Johnson, but it, and then like, He's one of the guys that can really get open whenever he wants in the football field still, like on the Steelers roster. It's mm-hmm. just like, and it sucks because this has been a, a narrative against him for years, but like, it's just the drop issues this year and making plays when you need to. It's, it, it hasn't happened so far. Like it's also it, really- it sucks that the one, the one play that you were alluding to where his foot was like half of his foot was out of bounds. Like whenever he landed, that would have been a mm-hmm. great catch. That sucks. But I just keep going back to that fourth and five play. Like you make that play, the drive keeps going, but instead it goes through his palms, and it's just frustrating. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like I just I think I remember Najee talking about it in an interview to somebody. Like the media training that these guys do, I think Deontay might need to take a couple extra lessons because he clearly does not say the right things um, to the media. And again, I, I think it's. The team's one and four. Everything sucks when you're one and four. You got former players talking about current players in the culture that's in that locker room. You got current players lashing out at the wrong people, including the fan base. You got fans wanting, you know, sweeping changes throughout the organization. It's it's not a fun place to be. And every team goes through it. It's just for a lot of people, this is the first time we've gone through it as Steelers fans. It's the first yeah. time in the social media era for sure, which yeah. inflates everything. Well, what's frustrating to me is listening to Tomlin makes comments basically basically saying everything's on the table for this team. I I understand that it is really hard to fire an offensive coordinator mid-season. But why should I as a fan really believe or think this team's going to do anything if you're going to make false promises from that standpoint? Cuz nothing's going to change. I mean, the Steel Away is just a full of crap by, by now. Steel Away probably met something 10 years ago. But when you're only winning three playoff games in the last 12 seasons, you are continuously putting out the same product, especially offensively, the last four years. And it's been two different coordinators, but this one has been specifically bad. And I think making the quarterback switch, you can see now it's mainly just the offensive coordinator at this point. We've got the quarterback that's willing to make the plays. And then Tomlin's going to say stuff like he's that everything is on the table, essentially. But nothing is going to change. I know that's going to happen. Everybody knows that's going to happen. And that, I think that's why like the Steeler way to me or whatever you want to call it is just a load of crap now. It, it means absolutely see, nothing. I think the Steeler way is what you're talking about, though. Like them not making those like stability, regardless of yeah, if it and should be or that, not. That's why it's a load of crap. Like it, it's not helping your football team. It yeah, might have helped I your mean, football team in the past. It's not doing you any favors now. So I definitely want to, I mean, this conversation could be the entire show, but I want to talk about Chase Claypool and Najee Harris before we go any further. 
So Chase Claypool was referred to by Tony Romo as non-quarterback friendly on Sunday after he literally just, he's running, like he gets a great break off the line of scrimmage, credit to him, beats the guy clean, but runs the route. And instead of like taking a path, literally that's being given to him kind of up the seam, he just cuts himself off and basically comes to a complete stop. The defender's able to catch up to it. Pickett has to throw the ball into a very tight window and the defender's able to make a play on the ball. That is the type of stuff that Tony Romo was talking about where he is creating a path to make a play for the defender that didn't need to be there. He should have been able to give Pickett a window to throw into and make a play on the football that there would have been nobody around him. It would have been completely open and he didn't. And this is just one circumstance, but it was very highlighted on Sunday because Romo said that then he went back and literally drew on like a, a, like a teleprompter where Claypool had to run. Yeah. Yeah. But he, you know, stays on a vertical path. Um, It's, it's frustrating to watch this guy because you talk about specimens. This guy is, I mean, if you were creating a football player, a wide receiver specifically in a lab, it probably looks like Chase Claypool. But the way that he's playing is not the way that you would create a wide receiver in a lab. And it's it's not just you know a, a small sample size at this point. We're talking about a guy that's really frustrated us with his play on the field since his rookie year. Um, you know, I, I think from a mental standpoint, like he's doing a lot of things situationally that I think he's kind of like matured. But as a football player, I, I don't know where this regression came from, but it's Romo was spot on with his analysis. And that's probably the only only thing that I can say about it, because I, I feel like every week that we could talk about, we could we could go back and find so many plays where Claypool's just not doing the right thing. And or just falls uh, down. that was yeah. And, and, you know, the 50 50 balls are a completely different you know topic, but. He should be turning those 50-50 balls into 75-25 balls. 36-5. And he should high point the ball. He shouldn't have these like six foot corners beating him. But he never extends his arms. I I just I don't get it. That just goes back to like, you know, why? These are things that obviously you and I are not talented enough to do on our own, but we can watch back and question why is he not doing that? Because it's something we've seen in the past. We've seen other players do it. He has the talent to do it. What what is what is not clicking all of a sudden with this guy? So that's where that's where I'm at with Chase Claypool. But you know, he's somebody I think uh he needed to have a huge year. We talked about that before. But at this point, I, I, I'm just looking at it like, okay, they've already paid one receiver in Deontay Johnson. You got George Pickens in line. You know, what is Chase Claypool's future in Pittsburgh anyway? Oh, his future is he's going to play out his contract, maybe, and then that's it. I, I think that's that's got to be it, unless you see a massive turnaround, which I'm, I would bet even against so, it. I, yeah, I would bet so, against it. What's so What's so funny? And I went back to check the date. Yeah, two years ago today is when Chase Claypool peaked as a Pittsburgh Steeler. Oh, was was it, was it, it was his fourth that, touchdown game against the Eagles? It was his fourth. Yeah, <laughs> two years ago, as of recording this, so October 11th. Okay. Yeah, it was his fourth touchdown game against the Eagles. That well, was when he peaked. Bought his jersey that day. Yeah. I mean, we had a lot of – whenever this guy got drafted, we were excited about it. We thought this guy was going to bring an element that the Steelers didn't have a receiver. And when we did for lost out on uh, Michael Pittman Jr., this was the guy. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it hasn't been the same. It's it's not not good from Chase Claypool. I just don't like his play, like how he plays. It, it, he like you said, every physical trait that you would want a receiver to have, he pretty much has. Except he does not possess like I don't know if it's just ball skills, route running, literally every other skill besides physical traits. He doesn't yeah. per, he doesn't show in a game. Well, we we knew the route running wasn't necessarily you know at an elite level, but the other things are why it doesn't need to be or shouldn't need to be. But but I, what's crazy is like that play that we're talking about that Tony Roma pointed out where he gets oh, that break release. and he's trying yeah. the middle. He did that at Notre Dame a lot out of the slot. Mm-hmm. But the, the difference is, I think maybe w- the way that he's running it in college, he can get away with it. The NFL, you have to put more effort into that. I, yeah. I don't know if that's the case, but it, it's just kind of like lazy running. Um, I don't want to necessarily say lazy running when referring to our next player. He's obviously hurt, man, and it's it's tough to watch. But second year Najee Harris has not um, performed, I think, the way that we would have liked. You know, it's it's even tougher because the offensive line has played decent. So it's like you've seen them take a little bit of a leap this year and you would expect, oh, second year Najee Harris is going to take that leap along with them. And look at what he did his rookie year. He should be able to take that next step and be even better this year. (laughs) I know that he's dealing with a Liz Frank injury going back to, you know, training camp. But um, I don't know. I I think it goes beyond that, though. I think it goes beyond that. Yeah. And I, I know that the vision was was an issue at Alabama. He's openly talked about it, by the way. Like his, his vision is probably the one area of his game that he self-critiqued and said he needs to improve on. Najee's but, basically the opposite of Deontay in PR standpoints. <laughs> yeah, yeah. True. He's willing to say what he's wrong. <laughs> um, but he's uh yeah, I, I don't want to say like by no means do I think Jalen Warren long term is is a better running back. But I think right now he's giving the Steelers more from the running back position. Um, you know, I understand somebody pointed this out. It was Chris Carter and Josh Carney. I think both of them did is you look at not necessarily stacking the box, but safeties are coming downhill more when Najee Harris is on the field because they're anticipating a run more often than not when it's him as opposed to when it's Jalen Warren. So that could be part of why Jalen Warren is seen so much more in terms of open holes and yards before contact, but just overall watching them, watching them play Jalen Warren to me has looked like the much better player. I I think a large part of that is due to being a much healthier player at this point in time, Mm -hmm. but the vision definitely plays a role here too. I mean, it's listen, and I'm not like completely out on Najee Harris by any means, but if if this injury is keeping him and making him look like the player that he looks like right now, there's no point in him being out there. I mean, I can appreciate him wanting to gut it out and be out there, but it's it's hurting the team. Not only is yeah. it just not helping them, it's actually hurting. Yeah, and I, I mean, that's what we were talking about earlier in the show where it's when you're running the football like that, you're basically just wasting it down. Even if you get one yard, like that's, that's a wasted down. And I think a big difference that I noticed between him and Jalen Warren is Jalen Warren will just kind of stick his foot in the ground and run. Uh, Najee, I, I don't know if it plays into the vision part where like Najee is more hesitant, and I don't know if he's just looking for different holes. But I, I think Jalen Warren is just less hesitant of a runner, and he's just going to put his foot in the ground and go, which I think is helping in the run game, and that's why he's averaging like more yards per carry than Najee is. Um, but, yeah, it's it's disappointing to see Najee the way he is, but if he has a list Frank injury, 
and he's not going to be 100%. You don't have to roll him out totally, but while he's nurturing that injury, you might as well get Jalen Warren out there some more because from what we've seen, he's had no reason to not be playing more. Uh, he Every time he touches the football, it seems like it's a positive play. Yeah, and Tomlin's noticed that, and he's said as much. He's going to get the ball more. He's kind of ramped up his work each week. He was on the field for 53% of their plays uh, on Sunday. And again, game got out of hand. Najee Harris, because of being hurt and everything, kept on the sidelines. But I anticipate that we're going to see him get more work. Nine touches on Sunday. I will bet you against Tampa we see in the 10 to 12 range. Yeah. Well, nine of those touches were were or not nine of those touches. Four of those touches were pass catching too. Yeah. Like he mm-hmm. only had five carries. So he's a he's a better receiver than I think you know I anticipated with his build. Yeah. Yeah, he's like so, a little stocky running back, but it, it, it's effective. Um last player I want to talk about is Terrell Edmonds. Um obviously wasn't able to go in this game. He's kind of been I mean he's always been the whipping boy really. The the black sheep of the defense, if you will. Um, but I think his importance was really magnified in this game. And granted, there's a lot of other injuries. You're playing against the Bills. I mean, they're going to put up points regardless. But I understand that he's he's not like the, the sexy player because he's never re- really going to make plays on the ball. He's not going to have a bunch of turnovers. He's not going to have those splash plays. But he erases tight ends. And I think a big part of why Buffalo was able to do what they were like that 98 yard touchdown, these other long plays was lack of communication. Terrell Edmonds is what makes that communication go on the back end of that defense, him and Minka, obviously. But when you are missing a piece like that on the back end, you get the results like you saw on Sunday. I think that Terrell Edmonds, we've really started to to underrate him and, and get to the point where we don't, understand how important he is to this defense i know he came back for two and a half million dollars and you know they were looking at other options and stuff like that but the level of comfort on that back end the level of communication that they have it's why that it works for him and minka and the rest of those guys and not having him in this game on sunday was a huge problem yeah and i i don't think that they get beat over the top like they did several times if he's in the game. And part of that just plays into communication. Not that he's the the greatest coverage guy, but just knowing the security back in the safety position with, with Minka and him in there instead of like Minka and Trey Norwood. Because yeah, even if he's not the one making the play like around the ball himself, those guys are gonna have better communication on the back end to have the person that's supposed to be there yep. there. Yeah. I mean, I who's I forget which pass it was. It might have been a Gabriel Davis touchdown, but like Trey Norwood, he kind of crashed down as a safety when he should have stayed back. And I noticed it immediately. And I forget the corner covering him, but basically the 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 they were doing like too high safety. Trey Norwood comes down and it just it leaves whichever receiver was it wide open. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I know Norwood and um Levi Wallace were the both beat on that 98 yard touchdown to start the game um and the other Davis one I mean I know a lot of people were like oh what is Minka doing that listen that is a ridiculous play like Minka's in the right position he even almost has the interception yeah and Davis just you know wrestles it away from him mm-hmm. but that's again sometimes hey every once in a while the offense is going to make a play too they made a lot of them on Sunday but uh <laughs> 
yeah. when it comes Especially to making those, those plays don't typically happen. Um, but again, I just think we've gotten to the point where we don't really appreciate Terrell Edmonds because in 2018, we didn't think he was worth a first round pick. If you go back and redo the 2018 draft, I'd be curious how many players most people would put in front of Terrell Edmonds from that draft class. Not just the first round, like the entire draft. I bet you he's still pretty close to being a first round pick. I mean, the drop offs from, and I know we're not talking about the 2017 draft, but the drop off in quality overall from the 2017 to 18 draft is nuts when you look at it as a whole. Yeah. I mean, even going into like the third, fourth round, you've got guys that are still productive in the NFL right now. And you have first and second round guys from 2018 that aren't even in the league anymore. We, I should do that one day, a 2018 NFL redraft and just see. Okay. How many guys I'm putting in front of Terrell Evans. Uh, you know, Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson are going to be two of them, but. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. I think that's it for football. So, um, well, comes... wait, wait, make a prediction for Sunday. So they're playing the Bucks. Do we have to. I think uh, we have right. to. Basically, I'll be there. Are, are the Steelers going to cover? We know they're not going to win. But it, are they like going to cover? Seven, seven and a half now I, or something? I, I, I was like eight the last time I checked. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to take the box. I am actually surprised this line isn't more like around nine and a half or ten. Um, I get yeah. that it's in Pittsburgh, and I guess that's playing into it because if it were a neutral site, it, it is like ten and a half. Then I guess. Um, I wonder if if more injuries, like if more guys are ruled out, that line is going to just skyrocket up. Yeah. Um, I do want to say though, like I can't imagine that the supporting cast is going to play as bad offensively again. Um, especially with everything that's going on this week already. You know, there's so much talk. They've got to try to shut out some of this noise. Even if they're not going to win this football game, you got to go out there and make some plays on Sunday. Um, but I just think the Bucs, they have too much firepower in offense. We have no clue who's going to be playing defensively. I will take the Bucs in this one 33-20. to 20. Okay. Uh, I'm going to take the Bucs. Um... I was going to say 31-20. So we're, we're we're basically around the same thing. Mm-hmm. I was trying okay. to think if I should switch my score for the Steelers because I said 20 as well. But yeah. So we don't have the Steelers covering as of yet. But yeah. we'll see if the line changes. As the, as and and if this game, time. if they're able to be competitive in this game and keep it close enough to where like game script is still favorable and everything, we can get an, an accurate picture and be able to evaluate Pickett, and they score a couple offensive touchdowns against what's a really good Tampa Bay defense, again, you know, even if they lose, I can feel pretty good about what I saw because the rest of this year, at least to me, I'm not throwing the season away. I I really don't want to do that, you know, five games into this. Uh, But the majority of the season is going to be about Kenny Pickett's development. I mean, I already announced that that's basically what the rest of the season is for me. And I, I know I, it's it's so hard to like throw a season away on on game six, but if they go into the bye week and you're, they're like one and seven, I, I know there's a chance that they could rattle off like a lot of wins in the back half of the schedule. But it's yeah. it's going to be pretty disheartening seeing them at one and seven. I think we both kind of said it though, like especially after you beat Cincy in the home opener or not the home opener, the opener, which we really didn't anticipate happening you would have thought like those first four games, you know, you go three and one, something like that, that could change the way that you're looking at the season. 
obviously TJ being injured is going to impact that. But, you know, even if they were sitting here through the first five games at two and three instead of one and four, I might feel a little bit differently. But, you know, I, I just, I can't, I can't, <laughs> it's hard to be excited uh, in, ter- in terms of the outlook of the entire season. I'm really just excited to watch, you know, Pickett continue to grow and hopefully this entire young offense grow together. Yep. Let's see his first passing touchdown on Sunday. Uh, yeah. Hopefully that's the one thing he's missing. We'll get it. Um, All right. So we're going to talk about some NHL stuff specifically with the penguins. Not necessarily so much. We, we talked about who we think is going to lead in a lot of categories um, last week, some X factors, who's the MVP going to be, blah, blah, blah. Uh, But this week we want to talk about the NHL as a whole. Obviously at the time of recording this, there literally literally is a game going on right now. Um, Opening night for the NHL as a whole. There was like the, the Stockholm series or whatever in Sweden that they did two games with Nashville and San Jose, Nashville winning both. Um, but how do we think the playoffs will shape up and then give our Stanley Cup prediction? I think that we should save the Metro for last, being okay. the best division the Penguins play in. We so just start in the West, will, probably. Uh, yeah, I'll start with the Pacific. Um, this is actually going to be very interesting for me at the top between the Oilers and Flames battling this out for the top spot. I do have the Oilers. Uh, in the top spot, I mean, McDavid, Dreisaitl kind of <laughs> speaks for itself. I do think that that was a sneaky. I do think the Flames are still going to be fine. You know, they lose Gaudreau, obviously, in free agency to no fault of their own. There was literally nothing they could do. He just did not. He wanted to play where he wanted to play in the United States after not seeing his family for like two years due to the pandemic and everything. Um, and then the Kachuk tra- trade, which kind of took everybody by storm. But they get back Huberto and Weeder two very good players and they've also extended both already. So I think the flames are going to be fine. I anticipate them still being a very good team. So I have both of them. I also have the Canucks making the playoffs here, taking a little bit of a leap. Um, I, I sneakily like their off season as well. I liked how they played for Bruce Boudreaux once he got in there. And I think if he was their coach the entire season, they're probably a playoff team last year. So I like what they did. Um, and then another team that I'm expecting to take a jump, and this was is slightly edging out the uh, the Knights for me. I do not have the Knights making the playoffs, by the way. This is I haven't seen a ton of people that don't have them there. I do not. The Ducks. I like the Ducks to make the playoffs this year. Um, made a little bit of a surprise move going out and getting John Klingberg. It, it, just on a one-year deal, by the way. I think they were the fortunate ones in that no one was really handing him big money on a long-term deal. Um, yeah. The other way that this could go is they stink and they end up being able to trade them at the deadline. But I think they're going to be decent <laughs> enough. I really like Trevor Zedris. I like a lot of their young talent. Uh, I'm not fully, I can't fully expect a bounce back from John Gibson at this point. He just, he hasn't done it for a long enough period of time. Um, but I think he'll be decent enough. Again, I just, I think that that's really a product for me of of that division. I don't love that division outside of the top two or three. Neither do I. Uh, I think it's a pretty mid-division. Um, but so I actually have the Flames on top, and okay. I think that's probably just because I like Markstrom and Goal more than Jack Campbell, and that, that's that's pretty much the sole reason. I, I think that Markstrom will win some win those more games, but but the Oilers are my number two team, um, and then after that. I had like a real tough decision with going with either the Canucks, Vegas, or to me, the LA Kings. Yeah. Um, Mid-playoff last year. I, so, so like 
I left the Canucks out instead of like you, okay. like you left Vegas out. So I actually have the Kings finishing third in that division. Um, I, we saw a little bit of a resurgence from Jonathan quick last year, which was pretty cool to see. Uh, it, it wasn't like a stellar goal by any means, but like, I think he had like a nine around nine, 10, nine, 11 save percentage, which for the previous year, he was like eight ninety something. So mm. If, if they're playing better or if he's playing better and with how bad that division is just like top to bottom, I think that they can make a push. And then Vegas to me, I, they're not the same team they were the past, like the, the few years they were early on. I, I still think they're a solid team, but they're going to be having, I, I think that, uh, what's his name is out for the year. They're goalie. Laner. Uh, Laner. Yeah. And cause I picked up their, the, well, I guess backup He's going to be the starter in fantasy hockey. Um, and I, I think that maybe like a full healthy offseason with with Jack Eichel, they can they can get some more offense going from him. Um, yeah. But I, I still think they'll be a, a playoff team or around a playoff team. I just don't think that they're going to be towards the top of that division like they have for the past. I mean, really, since their incumbent year. Yeah, my, my questions are about in net. You know, if Robin Lehner was there, I probably would have them over the Ducks. Um but I just I can't trust whatever that goalie situation is going to be, and uh, unfortunately I'm never going to predict injuries. But unfortunately for them, their injury list has has been long for a couple of years now. You know, you looked at the time that that Stone missed last year, the Pacioretty missed last year. Oh, dude, Stone's I, made they, it. They've had injuries. Yeah, and Pacioretty they traded. He's with Carolina now. I mean, I I don't know. I, that's a hard team to trust for me going into the season, but. Obviously, like you mentioned, a full season of Jack Eichel. Going back to the Kings prediction, though, um, what I do like about their offseason was getting Kevin Fiala. Now, I don't know if I love the contract that he got there, but um, big addition. He was a really good player for Minnesota. They just couldn't afford to keep him around. So, so It's Logan Thompson is the, the night school. Never heard of him. Started right now. Neither did I, but I picked <laughs> him up on fantasy. Uh, all right, going to the Central with the Stanley Cup. Uh, reigning Stanley Cup champions, Colorado Avalanche. I do have them winning that division. I've seen a lot of, um, well, not a lot of, Don Luchesen's model from The Athletic has the Minnesota Wild winning that division by one point over the Avalanche this year. Mm, I I don't, I, I still have the Avs winning that division. Yeah. I, so I have, e- I have even, e- yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, All you right. go. It's fine. <laughs> I have the Avs winning that division. I do like the Wild, though. I have them second, slightly over the Predators, who I have at three. Um, but I want to talk about the Predators very briefly, just because um, you say Soros. To me, if we were doing like award predictions on this as well, uh, I-, I think he's one of the three guys that I would have in that Vezina conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been a fan of his, especially, you know, like he started to it was a very similar situation to like that Vasilevsky Bishop or a lot of goalie situations where you see like all of a sudden, like that one, one of the goalies is on the back end of his career. And you know that the backup's probably better at this point, but like Pekka Rene's history with Nashville, they weren't just going to completely throw him to the side and, and have right. Saros take over the net. But Saros has been there for a little bit. And once that fully became his net, he's been, you know, a top three to five goalie in the league pretty consistently. Um, so I got them, and then this was tough between the Stars and Blues for me for that last spot. Uh, ended up going with the Stars. Okay, so we have a little bit of difference. Our top three is pretty much the same. I have the Avs, Wild, and Preds. 
Okay. Um, and then I, I actually have the Blues. So okay. we have, I mean, from the Western Conference, we have three different teams because yeah. I don't, I don't have the Ducks or the the Canucks or the Stars. So yeah, I mean, I like that. Uh, obviously, you know, at the top, it's hard to not be the same. So yeah, well, it's it, and I feel like the West more so than the East is more top heavy where you can kind of predict who's going to be like the top, like one or two teams in each division. But then after that, it's kind of just like a crap shoot for who's getting into those like wild cards and those third slots in the divisions. So uh, as we shift to the Atlantic, I will say maybe my biggest surprise is going to be from this division. Um, I know that we're going to do the Metro last, but let me just give a little bit of a tease here that I have five teams of the eight being from the Atlantic that make the playoffs. Okay. Um, so I got the Panthers actually winning that over the lightning. Um, and the Leafs are kind of in that conversation too. Obviously I think any one of those three could win that division. I've seen several people pick all three of them. I'm, I'm giving the Panthers the edge here. I mentioned that trade with the flames earlier, which I like for both sides. Like it's very rare that you look at a trade and think, Oh, both these teams got better. They got what they needed. I think Florida needed some Matthew to Chuck, but I also think mm-hmm. Calgary was fine with their return and uh, both teams will be okay. I'm going to pick the Panthers to win this division. Um, and it's actually over the Leafs because the Leafs, I don't trust in net enough to pick them to win the division. We know uh, what they Matt have. Matt Murray and Ilya Samsonov. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I know it's just one game. We saw the Lightning lose to the Rangers here on opening night. Um, my biggest question for them is going to be at, at, at on the on special teams, honestly. We know what they have in net. They're very good at 5v5. Um, the Rangers on the opposite side of that are very good on special teams and pretty mid at 5v5. So um, I actually have this division being Panthers, Leafs, Lightning as the top three. Now mm-hmm. here's where I said I'm going to get a little bit spicy. Okay. They're gonna take. They're gonna take a massive leap this year. I got the Senators making the playoffs. Wow. Okay. But that... I also have the Bruins making the playoffs. Okay. Five yeah. Teams I mean, I, I figured the if you're having five teams, I figured the Bruins are gonna be one of them. Yeah. But the the Senators making the playoffs. That's. I mean, I know they're a really young team with that has talent. But mm-hmm. that's I, I. I would classify that as a hot take because I don't think I've ever seen it. I've seen like many people <laughs> saying that. So. Yeah. Uh, but I, I dig it. I mean, I, I like the boldness. I'll, I'll be honest. I didn't put them in there, but part of me was like flirting with the idea of like, do I want to say like Detroit is like a fringe, like wild card team? <laughs> because I think in a yeah. couple of years, they're going to be good too. Yeah. I, I like their off season as well. I, I think I look at what Ottawa did. I mean, they got, I'm not the biggest Cam Talbot fan in the world, but I mean, he's been there for a while. I think he's solid enough. He's serviceable. Um, that's, that's pretty yeah. much it. Drake Batherson had a fantastic year last year. They got Alex to bring it in a trade. They brought in Claude Giroux. I mean, I, I think they had a sneaky, really good offseason. Obviously, Josh Norris is there. Uh, Brady Kachuk's there. Um, on the back end, you got a building block in Thomas Shabbat. Um, but that, to me, is where the questions are going to be, is defensively, did they do enough? I think there's yeah. been talk to them. There was talk to them the entire time about adding a top four defenseman, and I kept – I was trying to will a Brian Dumoulin trade into existence. They wouldn't do it. But – I still I like what they did enough to say I think they take that leap. <laughs> so do you have them ahead of Boston? Yeah, I have them as the four yeah. and Boston's the five. All right. I mean, I, I respect it. So I actually have 
Toronto winning that division. Okay. And I do not trust the goaltending, but I kind of feel like we're going to get a uh, scenario where Toronto is going to be similar to the 2016 Penguins, where it doesn't really matter who is in net. As long as they can keep you in the game, you're going to score outscore everybody. Um, so I have Toronto winning that division. I have Florida coming in second. Um, like you said, that trade with Calgary, it's not many times where you say like w- they both won the trade, mm-hmm. and, but it seems like they did. They both, they both got some good pieces in that trade. <laughs> they both just seem super happy. Like in yeah, the fan like it base, fine. like it's, it bo- it's very rare where you're like, oh yeah, I could see that trade for both sides. I think both teams got what they needed. Normally you're like, why did my team do this? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I have Tampa finishing third, and then I have I only have four teams from the I have four from each division, um, and mm-hmm. I have Boston finishing yeah. in that fourth slot. So you would have the Red Wings at five, though. You yeah, the Red Wings more than Ottawa. I, I mean, maybe it's just because I think they're a more sexy team in terms of. Hold on, pause. Um, I I, I think they're a more sexy team in terms of like their skills, the skill set on the team, but. Uh, Ottawa might turn into the better team, but I think when I, when I, especially when I look at Detroit's offense and the the capabilities that I could see have, happening there, I could Love see them winning. Andrew Cobb. Love that. Yeah, I, I I I could see them winning games just solely based off their offense. So that's that's why I was like flirting with the idea, but I don't think they're there yet. But give it like two years, and I think they're going to be a playoff team. Full year of uh, Jacob Verano, who is really good for them. Yeah, I didn't like that trade for Washington when they made it. Uh, no, they brought I didn't in Billy Huso. Um, again, I, I just, I looked at the defense and besides Mo, I, I don't see a lot that I like here. Right. That's why I said I, the, the offense yeah. is sexy to me. Not, not, yeah. not the team as a whole yet. Um, but all right. The Metro, um, I'll, I'll start this one off since I, Go ahead. all right. So I have the hurricanes winning this division. Um, I feel like that's a pretty common opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, they've, They've got something in net with Freddie Anderson that I didn't think they were going to get. And I I think that just top to bottom, that team is a Stanley Cup contender. So it's hard for me to pick any other team to to win the division besides them. Um, In second, I have our Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, I I think that Tristan Jari is going to have a really good year. I think that they're going to get some improved offense from multiple players. I think that... You're going to see an uptick in play from certain guys like a captain and a Zucker because um, they're going to be in the roles that we think they should be in. Like captain is no longer that fringe top six guy that is it needs to be playing up to that level. Like I, I think that he'll he'll thrive a little bit more knowing like I'm I'm the third line winger and I think that they'll they'll put themselves in a situation. And I think the the thing that I love about the team this off season was the changes on defense i think the defense is going to be really good this year um although it's interesting so like i know they had to bring bring down ty smith because yeah. he he wouldn't be on waivers but poj mm-hmm. would so how does that work like if is poj gonna play or mm-hmm. are they yeah like they yeah i think he has gonna... to at least play in the opener um i've kind of been like following along trying to figure out how they can get smith back up here i think that they can do it Maybe even the next day, and it would be fine. Okay. okay. But a POJ is going to be on that third pairing for sure in the opener. I think the question is because they they had him, Ruda, and Ruby to all kind of like rotating. 
they last practice. Mm. So I'm I'm okay. expecting it to be yeah. POJ and Ruda. I mean, I knew the, the only reason POJ didn't get set down is because he wouldn't have cleared waivers. That's that's really yeah. Weird. Yeah, they tried to trade him to literally every team. You know, yeah. If you believe, well, it's Elliot a little. Friedman. Yeah, and if if it's true, it's a little different when the guy's just sitting there and you can just grab him instead of having mm-hmm. to give up assets for him. So. I understand the move. Interesting to see how that plays out. But I have the Penguins finishing second. And then I have the uh, Rangers finishing third. I think that they're basically just going to ride on the coattails of Shesterkin again. Um, like Because like you said, they're good on, on like power play and penalty kill. But five on five, they're kind of just like a mid-hockey team. Like They've got some good players, but we saw in our series with them that five on five, they're not impressive. They were literally just having Shesterkin in net. Um, but I, I think as far as the season goes, they'll they'll finish third night. The Capitals is the wild card team. So the reason that I have five from the other division, only three from the Metro, is I do not have the Capitals. I do have the same three. Uh the difference is I have New York is two, Pittsburgh to three, uh okay. in the division. Um, I think there was a lot of fluty stuff, by the way, that happened with the Rangers last year. I don't necessarily think it's completely sustainable. Like Kreider's not to score fifty two goals again. It's just starting is going to take a step back, I would think. But even so, I still expect that he'll be, you know, in the Vezina hunt, even with him taking a little bit of a step back. Um, I am not necessarily a fan of losing Cop and Stro- uh, Strom and replacing it with Vinny Trocek. Um, but I think that they can basically still hey, play. He's as good as Malkin, though. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> I but I think they can basically still play the exact same style of hockey as they did last year. Um, I think it's fair to expect another leap from Keandre Miller. Adam Fox is one of the best back there. Um, Mika Zabinajad maybe had his best game that I've watched tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and he's still 29 years old. Panarin's there. Kreider's still going to be a really good player. I, again, I don't think he's just scored 52 goals like he did last year. Um, but they're just going to be so good on special teams. Um, Caroline, I, I don't know why I started with the number two team. I think it's just because of us that being the difference two and three, right? But right. uh, Carolina is the team that we both have at the top there. Again, I, I think the only way that that's not the case is the goaltending if it falters a little bit. Um, but to me, top to bottom, they got the best roster in the Metro. But the Penguins to me are still a playoff team at this point, even you know, despite them being the oldest team in the league like you mentioned short term i think they got better on the back end they're going to be able to transition the puck better this year than we saw the last couple years i think they're going to be able to defend uh the net front presence better than they have the last couple of years and beyond that you know i look at a team that that's pretty similar and if you were looking at ways that the team needed to improve sure i don't think that they necessarily got much more scoring punch in their bottom six like i think we would have liked to have seen that added um but you know, I think bringing Danton Heinen back was pretty big. Um, I, I think now that we, you mentioned Kasperi Kapanen, and now that we know he's going to be in that third line role, the expectations will lower. He shouldn't be making as much he, as he is, but assuming he's just going to be able to sit in that third line role and, and play that type of game, because he is better defensively, I think, than we give him credit for. He should be killing penalties. Um, I, I don't dislike this hockey team at all the one thing that i would change is, is literally in the fourth line i would not have josh archibald up here i would be playing drew o'connor if i get one oh Same. ty smith should also be but we understand that situation 
Mm-hmm. No, I agree. All right. Uh, so we, we had a little bit of disparity there. So that's good. We didn't have yeah. the same teams. Um, but Stanley now, Cup okay, finals. Who's, who's, let me ask you this before we do that. Okay. Who is like the one team, if, if you didn't say them, if you don't have them in the playoffs already, that you think like could be how I have like the Senators, like just really surprise people this year? Even if you don't, if you didn't pick them to make the playoffs yourselves, like you could see it happening. Um, I mean, I know you picked them, but like Canucks. Okay. To me, yeah. I mean, I don't think they're as bad as like they they're gonna finish as low as probably a lot of people would predict the Senators to finish, and like you're making them having them make the playoffs. But like, I I think the Canucks are a team that have kind of like underperformed based off expectations and haven't really made the playoffs, and I think they could make the team. Dallas Stars as well, but they're they're kind of like that fringe team. It's basically picking between Blues and uh, Stars for me for that wild card spot. So I, I would say the Canucks in that division. Yeah, I think a lot of the thing with the Canucks is probably just a, like again anticipating another leap from Thatcher Demko. Um, mm-hmm. But like you look at that roster, it, to me it looks like a playoff team, especially in that division. Um, the one like I guess their biggest offseason addition is probably. Ilya Mikhaev coming over from Toronto. They really mm-hmm. didn't do much outside of that. I mean, other than, you know, extending JT Miller, which yeah. is obviously nice to see. But actually, like, outside additions, that was really the only one. Yeah. But, man, I like, know. I think the big thing when I look at them is, like, what version of Brock Besser are they getting? Because he's been up and down. Yeah, it's been. He's, he's someone that... I I, mean, I keep relating to ho- fantasy hockey, but like I didn't pick him because I think he's too cold at times. He just goes on cold streaks where he's he should be scoring, but he's not. So really good shot. I mean, it looked like he was going to be you know their franchise player, mm-hmm. and now he's probably what like their seventh best player on that roster, something like that. Probably I mean, something like that. I mean, listen, you got um obviously I just mentioned. Um, JT Miller coming off the season that he had. Quinn Hughes, uh, Elias Pettersson, um, Bo Horvat probably still above him. Connor Garland, would you say him or Brock Besser at this point? I mean, the player I'd prefer to have is Connor Garland. Yeah. So if that that answers that question for you. There you go. <clears throat> so I mean, I don't know. I I, I think that he his stock has has kind of fallen here but if he can get back to being that player that's the type of thing that's going to propel them to be in that playoff spot i have him in so yeah all right now stanley cup final so it's kind of i mean it's i feel like a cliche thing to do to just say the avalanche are the best team going into this season i know they won it last year but here's the thing is we've we've seen repeats happen i don't want to say frequently but, like, we saw the Penguins do it. We saw Tampa do it. Granted, two shortened seasons. Like, we've seen it happen now. It's really that third year where you start to see the wear and tear of the team in the playoffs where they just completely run out of gas. Um, They obviously lost some pieces, as any Stanley Cup team is going to do. You know, Nazem Kadri. Oh, didn't even mention Kadri's with the Flames as well. So that's big for them, too. Except for the 2016 Penguins. Um, they didn't really lose a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I got the Avs winning the cup over the Florida Panthers. 
All right. So I'm going to say that the Oilers finally break the seal. Wow. And they're going to get there. But oh, I don't there. have them. Okay. I, they're, I don't have them winning. I, I have them losing to Tampa Bay. Oh, my God. L- listen, I, <laughs> I don't want to pick Tampa Bay. Believe me, I would love to pick. I mean, as a homer, I'd love to pick the Penguins. Don't get me wrong. But yeah. I would love to pick Florida or Carolina or someone like that. But when I just think about it objectively and I'm like, they have the best goalie. They have such a well-rounded team. In the playoff scenario, it is so hard for – I mean, they, they, they got back to the Stanley Cup final last year. Sure, the Avalanche won. But, like, the, the East didn't really put up much of an effort against them. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just think that they're going to get back again. And part of it is because they're just so well-rounded and they've got the goaltending to make a push in the playoffs because that matters more than almost anything in the playoffs is goaltending. And as Penguins fans past few seasons, we can attest to that. That goaltending mm-hmm. is a huge part of winning. And so, yeah, I have I have Edmonton making it, but I have Tampa Bay unfortunately winning it. They also get get Braden Point back who wasn't able to play for them throughout most of the playoffs last year. So, so. is I know is two shortened seasons. So like the 2020 and 2021 season, but mm-hmm. is 3 and 4 is that like a dynasty? I think so, yeah. especially because they played in the cup in the other one. Right. I mean, yeah, that's stupid. If they if they get back, even if they get back there and lose again, I mean, that's just insane. Like, here's the, the and here's the here's the way I know my pick isn't that bad because it's hard to argue against it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, that's why yeah. I wanted to ask you if part of you, because of your reasoning, starting out going in net, how much of you thinks like the second team that you would pick would be the Rangers because it's a Sturgeon. Um, so I, I do like the Rangers and net in a playoff scenario, but again, I just don't think five on five, they're good enough to win in playoff hockey. Cause we know how playoff Power hockey plays goes. the stairs. Yeah. Um, if, if I, if I were to pick a runner up in the East, like a, I would say probably Carolina. Okay. So yeah. And I, I do like Florida too. I mean, don't get me wrong. Any of these teams could make it, but I'm, I'm predicting that Tampa's going to. Yeah, do my, it. my question is going to be: by the time the playoffs roll around, is it Bobrovsky or Spencer Knight? Yeah, it's it's interesting to see. Like, you got Bob on that huge, like, ten million dollar a year deal, but then you're giving Spencer Knight a deal as well. I mean, obviously not that big, but you got Four two goalies half, under under serious contracts. Yeah, which which one's going to be your number one guy? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just happy that we're talking about hockey again because the Steelers haven't brought me much joy. Hopefully the Penguins will. Agree. So, uh, anything else? Uh, no. Penguins play on Thursday, so let's go Pens. Also, breaking the fourth wall, it is very late here at the time of recording this for me. <laughs> so uh, if I've seemed like I'm lower on energy as the episode has gone on, that is why it's about midnight here on the East Coast. Um, but yeah, hey, let us know what you guys think about this and literally anything else that we've talked about through this episode. Anything as it pertains to the Steelers, we know you guys are fired up too. You're not having a fun time watching the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, but hey, let's all we can all join together on one thing. 
and that is with the GoFundMe's that we've been talking about. We'll continue to talk about. The links will be in the bio of this. Um, we can't thank you guys enough for the support that you've given us through the first four years of doing the Rockin' Around the 412 mission. Uh, we've raised over $20,000 doing so. Uh, 11000 of that and some change was last year, by far the biggest year that we've had. 13 different families, 30 different kids within those families. It was amazing. I mean, mm-hmm. you guys, if you've been watching the show dating back to last year, saw what my basement looked like around Christmas time. I wasn't able to move from my desk chair. I couldn't do a full spin without hitting a box. So um, I hope that it's like that again this year. Every single penny that gets donated to this thing will go to purchasing gifts for the children as well as a gift card uh, to provide the holiday meal for uh, the family. And um, we already know one family that we're going to be helping out. Um, I graduated with, with Dalton Keene who um, tragically passed away. He was everybody. I think at this point knows about the incident at Mm -hmm. Shore stadium, um, the game between the Steelers and jets just so happened that I graduated with him. Um, And uh, his daughter, he leaves behind a two year old daughter, Isla, who um, obviously, for reasons stated, um, needs help with her future. So a GoFundMe was created. Um, Tyler informed us at the beginning of the show, it's around 27000 that has been raised up to this point. That's fantastic because this thing's only been going for about a week or so. Um, so please continue to support that. We are going to continue to support that and bring it up. We're also going to make sure that Isla is taken care of this Christmas through our Rocking Around the 412 mission. Um, and we can't thank you guys enough for, for helping to contribute to that. So the link to that stuff will be in the bio of this. It will also be uh, on our Twitter at Around the 412, or you can just go to GoFundMe and search Rocking Around the 412 um, for that. And for Isla, I believe it's called Isla King's Future mm-hmm. is the name of the GoFundMe. So you can type that in. That's I-S-L-A, Isla. I know. Very unique. Um, I remember when he first told me that was the name. I I thought I was hearing him wrong. I was like, what did you just say? He had to tell me three (laughs) times, I think, before I got what he was saying because I was like, that's not a a name. But uh, (laughs) very unique name. Very beautiful little girl. And I can't wait to to help provide Christmas for her and you guys to do so. Uh, For that, I don't know if I mentioned, we are going to be giving away several prizes to those who donate. So anybody who donates is going to be eligible to win those. I don't have any of that stuff yet. I actually started looking around today. But if you guys have any ideas, like stuff that you're like, man, I would love to have a, a shot at winning this, throw it in the comments or tweet at us. If I can find it, I will definitely make sure to get it um, because you guys are what makes this whole thing happen. So obviously I want to get stuff that you guys want. So for sure. But other than that, like and subscribe wherever you're watching or listening to this, uh, whether that's on YouTube, hit that subscribe button leave us a like leave us a comment as i mentioned about anything that we've talked about if you're listening on spotify apple podcast pocket cast whatever that is yeah. Yeah. Uh, wherever um stay up to date with us on youtube shorts instagram reels all that good stuff to get your 60 second clips throughout the week other than that for smitty for tyler this has been another episode of around the 412 we will see you guys next week after we knock off the tampa bay buccaneers bye-bye